that every morning because we realize our position in life as sinners, but we identify with being God's saints. Amen? Well, we continue on with our sermon series, Encounters with Christ. Overcoming temptation is our theme today. And we've been talking about encounters with Christ, with humans encountering Christ and applying it to our lives. But today, Anastasia, we're going to look at Christ's encounter with Satan and how we can learn from that and how we can overcome temptation. We have our account in three of the Gospels, but we're going to focus on Matthew. So if you would, take out a Bible and turn to Matthew 4. Starting with verse 1, if you don't have, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, you can take out your electronic Bible on your phone or, or you can look in the back of the pew and, and there will be a black uh, uh, Bible there or underneath your seat. If you're that flexible, you can find one there and pull it out. And if you don't have a Bible and want one, we have free ones at the back. Take it, make it your own that you might study with us. So, Matthew 4 And we'll start with verse 1 in just a moment. I want to dispel a big lie this morning. There's this big lie out there that says, if I were more spiritual, I wouldn't be tempted. And can I just tell you this morning, that's not a truth. You won't find that in the Bible. That idea that if I were more spiritually mature, I wouldn't be tempted. That's simply not true. Matter of fact... I would argue that the more that you do for the kingdom, the more Satan is aiming for you and coming after you. Why, if you're not involved in kingdom work, what does Satan care? But if you're doing things for the Lord, you're going to be tempted. James says, this is the half-brother to Jesus, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. James implies it's just the opposite, that everyone is going to have to resist the devil. He's coming for you. He's vying for you. He's going to tempt you. Satan's going to be there every morning when you reach the doorstep, making you think that you deserve more than you have. Oh, how Satan loves a little attitude of entitlement he's going to arrive at your office and he's going to scream out to you uh, that you deserve better you deserve a, a better title you've earned a promotion and he'll be there to fan the flame of jealousy and envy in your workplace he's going to whisper into your ear every time you look at that bank statement and he's going to say That's not enough. You need to hoard more. You need more. You never know what's going to happen. You need more. Because Satan knows as long as your resources are locked up in the bank, they can't be used to further the kingdom's work, right? He's going to be there while you're driving in that crazy traffic. You know what I'm talking about. And he's going to whisper to you, rage, rage. 
These people don't know you. You'll never see these people again. Satan is there in the middle of the night when you wake up to feed your greatest doubts and your greatest fears, not counting Landry. (laughs) Evil is there when your neighbor, your friend, or worse, your enemy gets a new phone, a new car, a new boat, a new house, maybe a new farm, or maybe an undeserved inheritance. They'll be there to feed your envy and your jealousy. No matter how spiritually mature you are, he's going to be there to tempt you, and we're going to have to resist Satan. Uh, Both John and Peter tell us he's the source of every evil desire. He's a murderer and has been since the beginning. He's the father of lies, of all lies. He seeks to devour you. He roams the earth seeking who he can devour, destroy, condemn. He's behind every bombing that you've ever heard about. He's behind every divorce that's ever been. He's behind every mass shooting ever been devised. He's the beginning of every abuse and neglect. And he is the reason for all addiction and harmful habits. He's coming for you. Our key problem and our key scripture this morning is that we love the world. John tells us, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The real problem is that we love our passions, our possessions, and our pride more than we love God. And when you get love wrong, it opens the door to all evils. Did you catch that? When we get our love wrong, it opens the door for all types of evils. The lust of the flesh, that's passion. Our problem is we love passion, which makes our, all those things that make our flesh satisfied, those sensual sins, fornication, adultery, rape, incest, sodomy, pornography, gluttony, drunkenness, addiction, anything that can rule over your senses is lust of the flesh. So I've given it three P's this morning, and the first one is passion. Lust of the eye. We love what we see and we want it. It's that coveting possession. John says the problem that we have is because we love what we can own. And in and of themselves, can I tell you, there is no, there is no possession that is a sin, It's when it becomes our God. It's when we become to worship it. It's when it 
owns us and masters us, that it begins to be the sin. Lust of the eye, the love of passion, coveting anything that is tangible, that you can feel ownership of, that you'll sin to get, or that's just not yours to begin with, like coveting another man's wife. Can I tell you, you know you have a problem with possessions when we love possessions and we use people. Because we really ought to be loving people and using possessions to love more people. So when you start finding yourself loving your possessions and using people to get them, you know that you really, really have a problem with lust of the eye. Then there's the pride of life, that arrogant spirit of self-sufficiency. John's talking about that expressed desire for recognition, for applause, for status, for advantage at life over and at the cost of others. There's nothing wrong with some recognition. There's nothing wrong with being so well at something that you might gain applause or that you might gain a status. What's wrong is when it becomes a point that I have to become better than someone else at the cost of someone else. At the core, pride wants to puff itself up into something that it really isn't in the first place. Pride wants me to find my value in someone being better than someone else. Can I say this morning, pride is the basis of every bigotry, every prejudice, every discrimination, and all racism. At the core of it is the pride of life, that arrogant spirit of self-sufficiency. So I've boiled them down into three simple P's for you to remember this morning. Passion, possessions, and pride. So let's see how Jesus deals with these three. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell me these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city, that would be Jerusalem, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. So there they are, Levi, at the highest point on the temple, and he says, If you are the Son of God... Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will do not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him and said, It's also written, Don't put the Lord your God to the test. So Satan, one more time, took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. All this I'll give you, he said, if you'll just bow down and worship me. And Jesus replied to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, 
Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Now some of you this morning might be saying, well, Keith, I think I could overcome these temptations if Satan had just come to me and I would have known it was Satan, I could have gotten past these things. I mean, my goodness, Satan doesn't just come to us and we know it. We wouldn't make a big mistake like that. But i got to tell you, Tanya, that's exactly how Satan came into the world. Look at Genesis 3 and 6. The woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some, ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Do you see this is how exactly how sin entered the world through our passions and possessions and pride. Millenniums have passed since this has happened, but we really, as humans, Jacob, we hadn't changed much at all. We're still giving in to the same three that we gave in to in the beginning. Lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Oh, that apple looks good to have and to taste and to hold. And oh my goodness, if I eat that, I'll know good from evil and I'll be wise like God. It was how sin entered the world and it's how sin and Satan still captures us today. So let's look at some tactics. How did Christ deal with this? First, let's look at lust of the flesh. Jesus has been on a 40-day crash diet. He's hungry. Satan comes to him and says, turn turn these stones into bread. And you're thinking, well, that doesn't sound too bad, does it? How is that a sin, Keith? I mean, Christ has taken a few fishes and a few loaves of bread and multiplied those and fed thousands. What's the deal here? The problem is that Satan is asking Christ to use his spiritual resources to feed his personal passions. The sin is taking the power and glory of God and using it for himself, for his own blessing. And we do this all the time. God gives us intimacy and love, and we use it for sex. God gives us mind and intellect to to heal and serve. And so we make drugs, which ought to be for healing, and we turn around and we abuse them, and we use escapism through them, and we become addicted to them. God gives us intellect. We build this thing called the World Wide Web to share information worldwide for everyone, freely. And we turn around it and use it for pornography. God God blesses us with abundant food. And we turn around and become gluttons with it. So what's the answer to this temptation? Jesus says... 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. What he's saying here is stop living for your passions and start living for God. Put everything under the spiritual guidance of God. Your zeal, your pleasures and passions should be about the advancement of the kingdom, not your own self-pleasure. We're to take all of our passions and we're to take every thought, and Paul says make them captive to the obedience of Christ. We're to take spiritual appraisal of all things. Paul is saying just what Christ is saying. I put all my thoughts under the guidance of God. It's not about me serving my pleasures. It's about me serving the kingdom. Number two, the pride of life. And you may be asking yourself, this seems a little strange. What kind of temptation is going on here? Well, first I have to tell you that God chooses to bring Jesus into the world in humility. In a manger. Wrapped in rags. As a servant, as a suffering servant to serve humanity. Not as a stately form or in some type of majesty, but a man who would bear our sorrows and bear our sins for us. A man who would not come into glory with, with all kinds of pomp and palace, but someone who came in fulfilling the greatness of God by healing and suffering. That was the plan for God for Jesus. And Satan is saying, you just throw yourself off from the top of the temple because you won't be hurt. If you jump, Scripture says, prophesies that you won't hit the bottom. Before you hit the bottom, before you impact with the, the temple tile, the angels will rise you up. You see, the thought here is, you can come into power in all this mighty majesty. You see, he's on top of the temple. And there are hundreds, maybe thousands of people in the temple. And if they see Jesus leap off of the top of the temple, and angels come and catch him and keep him from bruising even his heel, all the people in the temple, all the, all the religious leaders of the day are going to go, oh, that's the Son of God. We're to bow down to Him, and He'll come in a way that was never meant for Him to come. Wasn't the plan of Christ. The temptation is to get past all the pain and the suffering and enter into authority without the sacrifice. Jesus answers to him, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. He's using a quotation here. Christ's tactic is to quote God, to quote himself, I might say. So what's this about? Putting your Lord to the test. Well, you have to go all the way back to Exodus 17. In Exodus 17, the Israelites have just been delivered out of bondage. 
and they're demanding water. They're demanding that Moses miraculously create water for them. They have forgotten that God has taken them out of bondage, that God has just crushed their enemies, that God has just been feeding them everything they need every morning with manna. And now, now they feel entitled to demand that Moses provide them water. See, they're testing God. Oh, how Satan loves the victim mentality paired with a heavy dose of entitlement, right? Pride demands, I want mine and I want it now. I'm better than others and I deserve to be recognized to be better. Pride screams out, I'm valued because of my own self-sufficiency. And Jesus is declaring, trust God. Put your faith in God. God values you because he loves you. That's where you get your value. And everything else, putting him to the test, is a lack of faith. You see, pride goes directly against faithing in God. Paul tells us in Thessalonians, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you to belong to Christ Jesus. He's saying, don't put God to the test. Be thankful to God. Never stop praying. Always be joyful. Why? Because faith, or excuse me, because, because putting God to the test and living thankful lives oppose each other. I cannot be I cannot be prideful when I'm thanking God for everything I have. You see, in pride, I'm demanding, and I'm thinking that I'm owed something. That's pride. And I can't be there if I am being joyful and I am being thankful for what God has given me. The tactic is be thankful, and you'll never put him to the test. Number three, lust of the eye, possessions. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give you, he said, if you'll just worship me. If you'll just bow down and make me Lord. I think this temptation is pretty straightforward. Satan is offering instant gratification to own the possessions, to own all the political systems of Rome, to, to own all that Greece has to offer, to own all the splendor of the Egyptian world. If you'll just worship me, he says. Christ knows that fulfillment never comes from possessions. He says, away from me, Satan, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Possessions will never give you value. They're temporary. Moth 
rust, decay will take all of them eventually. Possessions never provide love, but can I tell you, they can master you, and they can bring you to your knees if you'll let them. Lust of the eye, possessions. Christ tells us no one can serve two masters. We have a hard time with this. We like to think that we can have one foot on one side of the fence and one foot on the other. And as my friend says, you can't stand on the fence. Satan owns it too. You see, I'm always amazed at people who have money and hoard money and have huge bank accounts and serve money who think they have no problem, no issues with lust of the eye, no idolization of their problem. They, they talk about it like it's everyone else's problem. And everyone else needs to deal with this problem. It's, it's, like, a, it's, it's like a drunkard saying, well, I can, I can quit drinking anytime I want. I just don't want to yet. It's like an addict claiming they can stop using anytime they want. But yet they can't let go of it to serve God. I was having dinner with my sister uh, this last week, and she reminded me, Keith, when people get nicer cars, they don't become nicer people. Greedy people who acquire wealth are still greedy people when it's said and done. Selfish people who hoard their money never let go of it and are never free from it. Possessions simply don't have the ability, Keith, to make anyone better or nicer. We got to talking about people who had won lotteries recently. And she said, you know, they are who they are even after the money. It doesn't change them. They are the same person. So often I feel like in life... People think that if I just have a little more, then I'll be happy. Folks, can I tell you, at that point, when you start thinking that way, possessions own you. They've already mastered you. And folks, can I tell you this? This is not a rich man's problem, okay? This is not a wealthy man's problem. Lust of the eye for possessions. I've told you this before and I'll tell you again because it's a great illustration. My dad was talking to a man right outside the church one evening. And he said, he said, you know, Randall, if I had all the money in the world, some of you are sleeping mentally. I want you to wake up at this point. He said, Randall, if I had all the money in the world, I would help the orphans. I'd build an orphanage home, and I'd take care of orphans. But I really just, man, I am so poor. Dad said, this guy's very average in income. He said, well, man, don't worry about it. He said, tell you what, we've got a young lady staying with us, and we're going to be out of town, and she needs a place to stay. Could you give her a room for a couple of days? Oh, Randall, I don't know about that. 
I mean, I'd like to, but I just don't. I, I'm so, we're so busy, and I don't. Dad said, no, that's okay. He said, you know what? At church, he said, we're getting together, and, and we're going to give all the orphans of this orphan home $5, and we're going to take them. And this is back in the 70s when $5 was something. So today it'd be like, we're going to give all the orphans a, a $50 bill and take them to the mall and let them choose a Christmas gift for themselves. And the guy says, I'm sorry, I just, I don't have $5 to spare right now, Randall. Folks, lust of the eye is not just a rich man's problem. It can be a poor man's problem too. It's a problem of the heart, right? So at the end of all these sermons, I ask you, will this encounter change your life? Today, will it change how you act and how you behave? Satan is vying for you. Don't think to yourself, he doesn't want you because he does. John 10.10 tells us that Satan's out there and he is trying to steal your life away, trying to kill you, trying to destroy you. So today I encourage you to start using tactics to beat Satan's offense. Spiritually appraise all things. Take captive all your thoughts and make sure they're serving the will of God and your passions will never rule you. Number two, don't put God to the test. Start trusting in him, be joyful, pray all the time, and be thankful in all circumstances and pride will never overcome you. Third, stop worshiping your stuff, idolizing your possessions, and start worshiping and adoring the one true God. And you will beat temptation. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Lord, we have failed so many times to win over sin. We ask for your grace and for your forgiveness. Lord, this morning we've studied your tactics. Help us, Lord, to defeat temptation. We ask, Lord, that worldwide, that we, humanity, overcome evil. Help us to push it aside and put you at the forefront of our lives. Lord, we pray for all those who are, have been recently impacted by evil. We pray, Lord, for all those families who've been impacted by people who have given in and done awful, terrible things and continue to do terrible things. Lord, we ask for your guidance and your power and your strength so the world might know the grace of your Son, your love, and the fellowship of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know where you are this morning spiritually. If there's anything we can do for you this morning, we are ready, willing, and able to help you with your spiritual problems.
the front pews are open for you. There'll be at least one loving, kind elder at the back. If coming forward is too much, is, is too intimidating for you. But won't you think about it? Won't you think about dedicating your life and overcoming sin this morning as we stand and we sing?